when you think about the experience of, of black women, many times people talk about the sadness, the hardships of our lives, how hard it is to be a black woman in a racist society. But then when you think about black women's poetry, they are creating a space of joy, a space of comfort. They are creating a space that we can be much more than what society is offering us. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Luana Reis unpacks her recent talk, Black Feminist Poetics and Language Teaching, and discusses bringing poetry and social justice into the language classroom. Luana even shares some original poetry with us. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we are speaking with Luana Reis. Luana is a poet, educator, and Black feminist scholar. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series titled Black Feminist Poetics and Language Teaching, and we will dive deeper into how to integrate poetry into our language classrooms. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Luana. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So we like to get things started uh, on our podcast before we dive into the subject of your talk about uh, our guests' background and path with languages. So maybe you can fill us in a bit about that. Awesome. So I'm from Feira de Santana, a small city in Bahia, the state of Bahia, Brazil. And that's where I did my undergrad in language. So I studied English and Portuguese language and literatures there at the Universidade Estadual de Feira de Santana. It's our state university there. And that's where I started my language journey. So I didn't study language before. I didn't have like the money to pay for language courses that are very expensive in Brazil. Hmm. So I was able to study language at the public university because in Brazil, we have free uh, public universities. So I was able to go there and learn English during my undergrad. And that's also where I started teaching Portuguese as a foreign language, something hmm. that for me it was completely new. I didn't know people out there were learning Portuguese. <laughs> and because I was, I already spoke English, I was invited by a local uh, association to teach some students who were coming to spend a week or two at the, in the city. So I started teaching Portuguese. And then I was interested in the, the area and I wanted to learn more about teaching Portuguese as a foreign language, because even though I spoke Portuguese, it's very different teaching the oh, language, yeah. you know. Because yeah. some, some questions and things that people ask me, and I'm, things that I never thought about it, because they will just speak, and I will just talk about those things, but I didn't think about the how to explain this to someone else. Yeah. And that's why I did my master's, and uh, Portuguese as a foreign language, that's where my thesis was about. I went to a federal university in Bahia. It's called UFIBA. 
And then I did my master's uh, related to teaching Portuguese as a pluricentric language. Also thinking about teaching Portuguese, not only the Brazilian Portuguese or European Portuguese, but thinking about Portuguese as a global language in all the spaces and contexts that Portuguese is spoken. Then I came to the U.S. with a Fulbright Fellowship called the FLTA program to teach Portuguese at the University of Pittsburgh. And I continued here with uh, another fellowship. It's called Leitorado. It's like a, a partnership with Brazilian uh, government and universities outside of Brazil to teach Portuguese and also Brazilian culture. And I started my PhD here as well. And that's where I am now, trying to finish up my PhD now nice. in literature. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's so nice, Luana. Um, in your talk, you discussed the inclusion of Black feminist poetic texts in language teaching. Can you recap for our listeners how Black women's voices in poetry can help encourage a critical reading of the world for our students and also advance their language proficiency? Yeah, when we think about uh, Black women's voices artistically or intellectually, we're thinking about uh, the complexity of human subjects. Because, for example, when you think about the language curriculum, and I'm talking specifically for Portuguese language books, for example, they tend to show one way of viewing and understanding our society one way of speaking the language, and even this idea of what is correct or what's incorrect in terms of how you use the language. So when we bring Black voices and Black women's voices to our curriculum, to our language pedagogy, to our practices, we are offering our students the experience of the complexity of our world to hear and learn from different voices, seeing different ways of using the language, how these women are creating through this process of being in the society, their joy, their, uh, because sometimes also when you think about the experience of, of Black women, many times people talk about the sadness, the hardships of our lives, how hard it is to be a Black woman, in a racist society, but then when you think about Black women's poetry, they are creating a space of joy, a space mm. of comfort. Yeah. They are creating a space that we can be much more than what society is offering us, that we can create our own existence and think about how we can be happy and be welcoming to other people. In poetry in a specific, when you think about poetry, poetry already brings that uh, possibility of multiplicity, of meanings, of understanding. So when you bring Black women's uh, voices in poetry to our language practice, we also offer our students the opportunity of thinking about the complexity of language, how one word can mean so many different things how they can create different meanings in that word as well. And thinking about that, they are not just learning that language. They are using and possessing and creating with that language. So they can create 
different meanings. They can create different ways of expressing yourself. So I think that is the beauty of thinking about uh, Black women voices in our uh, language uh, teaching practices. Yeah, nice. I'm I'm particularly struck by that idea of centering joy in the mm-hmm. face of adversity. I, I think mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. Um, so then on a practical level, how can teachers integrate poetry at different levels of instruction? Do you use the same poems in beginning, intermediate, and advanced classes, or how do you approach that? Yes, completely possible to use the same poem in different levels. And I'm going to give the example of the poem that I used in my presentation. It's called Novas Manhãs by Elisandra Souza. And that poem it has a, a repetitive structure of, of I like, I like. Mm-hmm. In Portuguese, eu gosto de, eu gosto de. And then you can use that poem. For example, I use for the beginner levels because most of my students are Spanish majors as well, so they already speak Spanish. So it's very difficult for them to get used to this structure of eu gosto de, because they used to use me gusta, because even uh-huh. though Spanish and Portuguese are very similar, for example, the word gostar and gostar, but when you think about the structure of how you're going to use that in a sentence, it is difficult for Spanish speakers to get used to this new way of using that structure. So they say, me gustan los libros, me gustan las palabras, and then the poem is repeating that structure all the time in Portuguese. Eu gosto de livros, eu gosto de gente, eu gosto de... So this repetition already helps my students to uh, understand the difference between how you're going to use that in Spanish or in Portuguese, that you're not going to agree, like the verb with the noun, like me gustan las palabras, because in the poem you have Eu gosto de palavras, eu gosto de gente, so they see that their structure is not going to change. And then when you think about this poem, I also use with the beginner levels, I'll ask my students, uh, what do you like Hmm. and why do you like it? So they can write their own poem thinking about that structure so they can produce and think about their own likes and dislikes and think about because sometimes we don't think about why do we like things we just say but we don't think about the reason why we like it Mm -hmm. so the poem offers the students also this opportunity of thinking about why do you like those things and they can create their own poem but then if you think about different levels more advanced levels you can expand that for example uh, the, the first line of the poem is Eu gosto de livros. So like, which books do you like? What's your favorite book? Can you describe to me the story of your favorite book so they can elaborate that a little bit more and use expressions like what was the first book that you read? Do you remember that? So they can explore different tenses. So I can use the same poem to think about many different possibilities of activities. And the important thing is to think about, even if we are thinking about in terms of of Brahman and language structures, the poem is always going to take you beyond that. So even though I'm talking about the use of the expression, so it's never gonna stop in this Brahman aspect of the poem. It's always going to expand to our feelings, to our emotions, to the things that 
makes sense to you in your life, things that you like. So it's important to think about the poem, not only as a tool to practice uh, grammar structures. You can even begin with that, but then the poem is always going to take you beyond mm -hmm. that because that's what poetry does to us. Yeah, that's great. So how have your students reacted to reading and writing poetry in your Portuguese classes? Is this something that's scary for them? I mean, I remember, you know, when I was learning different languages, poetry was always a, a very, oh my God, it's literature, you know, how do you deal with that? And what do you do? And do you have to interpret it? And I, I'm not a poet, I could never write a poem. So what was your student's reaction? Yeah. So you describe it perfectly. <laughs> so they always start with that feeling. I'm not a poet. And also to think about for many people, it's interesting for me to see that many people think that poetry is to talk about things that nobody is going to understand. They think, mm. like, I cannot understand poetry like I read poems and I don't know what they're talking about so many of my students come from this experience and I think because of that experience related to literature <laughs> before that mm. like the kind of poems where we usually read in school and how our teachers uh, address and talk about poetry and they usually come with that thinking about poetry as something that's very abstract something that they're not going to understand, that does not connect to their daily lives. And they think, I'm not a poet. I'm not a poet, so I cannot write a poem. But then when we start the conversation about what poetry is, what poetry means, what are the different ways that you can express yourself in literature, and I usually connect also with music because music and poetry are so connected. Sure. A lot of my students, they love hip hop. They listen mm. to hip hop. They yeah. are constantly listening to hip hop. And when we talk about like the poetry present and hip hop and how we're listening to poetry, experiencing poetry in our daily lives, and then we show them poems that they can connect. So when I show them, for example, this poem by Alessandra, it's like, you can write a poem as well, because can you talk about your experience, your deep experience, your deepest emotions? And I think sometimes I people are afraid of poetry, because poetry really takes you to think deeply about your experience. You cannot just stay in the surface. You have to go deeper And even sometimes when you start talking or writing about something, the poem ends up taking you different directions. And when you finish, you're like, oh, I started a poem talking about a hat. And then this poem brings me to talk about my relationship with my father mm -hmm. or people that I saw for the usually wear hats. So then you start with something and then you see the poem is going to take you to something deeper and it's going to give you this experience of exploring your feelings, your true feelings, your most deepest feelings. Mm -hmm. And then I think for them also when they see that they can create with the language that they're learning, 
it's very important and motivating because sometimes, for example, you see students are very afraid to speak in a foreign language because they think about, oh, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to make mistakes. And then the poetry brings you this freedom of creation. I love, for example, when I see a poem and my students are creating new words in Portuguese. Yeah. They create new yeah. words. And it's awesome. amazing. Yeah. Because sometimes when they don't know how to say something in Portuguese, then they, they just create something. Yeah. So yeah. that's what, when they see that they can do that, they can play with the language, they yeah. can have fun, they mm -hmm. can be creative. And then it motivates them to write more. But they start with the same experience that you just <laughs> described at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the beginning of your talk, you also commented on the importance of rethinking the roles of students and teachers in the classroom environment. Can you expand on this? Absolutely. And again, I'm going to mention poetry and how poetry challenges the way we understand things. So this relationship of a student and teacher, it's usually thought as, oh, the teacher is going to teach and the student is going to learn. So this is what I'm here for. I'm here in this classroom environment to be taught by this amazing teacher who knows so much about so many things. Right. And then poetry, uh, uh, by challenging also the way we understand things, so it's going to challenge that perception as well. We're going to be both learners and teachers at the same time. Hmm. And also it's going to create that community of learning because we see that we can explore our identities and the multiplicity and complexity of our identity. So we can think of ourselves in many different ways. So we cannot be in that classroom environment to do, to do only one thing. We are multiple and we can do so many things. So we can help each other, we can learn from each other. And my students are always teaching me. They constantly uh -huh. teach. I learn so much from my students. And for me, uh, as a Portuguese speaker, seeing how my students use and create with that language is amazing. For example, uh, we have the word uh, pipoca in Portuguese. It means popcorn. Hmm. And then some people just create a new word. Instead of saying pipoca, they say pipoca because like, the sound <laughs> says, oh, we don't know how to pipoca, but you have this more sound, so you just create a new word. So now you don't say pipoca, you say pipoca. So you can create in that language and then people understand, people connect. So I think uh, uh, the amazing thing about poetry is this, to bring this innovation, this constant yeah. innovation of language. That language is not something that it's there. Fix it yeah. and you're just going to grab this word here and there to construct sentence. That language is fluid because we are fluid as yeah. human beings using that language. Another thing that stood out to me in your talk was your comment that poetry helps us appreciate silence. What do you mean by that? Thank you for bringing that, because this connection of poetry and silence, it's something that for me it's very precious and amazing to think about, because poetry and the 
For example, when you read a book of poetry and you see a poetry on a paper and you see those blank spaces uh-huh. surrounding the poem or sometimes within the poem, it gives you this very important moment of pause. Mm-hmm. And, and silence, for me, is this very experience, true experience, because you can dwell in that moment and experience something that it's not just right there and explicit. You have to go deeper and think about those pauses. You, you make those pauses and it gives you the rhythm of poetry. Because when you think about poetry and this connection with rhythm, you think about this alternation to voice and silence, voice and mm-hmm. silence. Yes. And Thinking about language teaching, this is beautiful as well because it shows our students, it shows us as a, a, a community of learning. The silence, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you're not learning. Yeah. Because sometimes I think teachers, they get desperate when students are silent. If you ask a question yeah. and you see yeah. the moment of silence, it's like you yeah. think there's something wrong. Yeah. And you mm. think there's like, what's the problem? Why nobody is saying anything? And then poetry, when you work with poetry and you see the importance of those silences, those blank spaces, that they're not empty. So silence, it's mm. not emptiness. It, silence, it's also this true experience. Sometimes when people ask you something, you need to take a pause and think about it. Yeah. You can't be like just talking and talking and talking all the time. So I think poetry helps us appreciate that and see that the silence has meaning as well. Mm-hmm. It's something that it's meaningful. It doesn't mean that something wrong. It doesn't mean that it's emptiness. Mm-hmm. It, that silence is a moment for you to experience something in a deep way. So it's very, it's a very, uh, it's very sensual. Like silence is very mm-hmm. sensual. Like it's about sensations about feelings oh. about experience so i think when you think about the classroom so i think that poetry it's going to help you see that silence those moments of silence mm-hmm. it's something that it's not uh, deprived of meaning mm-hmm. it's not something bad yeah so it helps uh-huh. us appreciate these moments of silence and silence is important we need yeah. silence so thinking about uh, silence, uh, I wrote a poem as well that expressed a little bit how I feel and understand silence. It's called uh, My Silence is Loud, and it was published um this book called Haizis, Brazilian Women Poets in Translation. And I'm going to read it for you. My silence is loud. A carving silence, dancing in your ears, curling up your head, confusing your senses, undoing in straight lines, singing in perfect harmony, connecting here and there, decentering, entering, occupying the air. Thank you. It's beautiful. Wow, that's giving me chills. 
You know, and this also reminds me, you talked about the connection between uh, poetry and music, but this also, looking at the typography of the poem, looking at the spaces and the silence, this kind of reminds me of Amanda Gorman's poems um, and how they are physically arranged on a page too, and they create art. So that's that's another piece that factors into poetry as well, which is really, I mean, it's very multifaceted. It is. As a uh, English lit major, that was my undergrad. I'm I am loving this. This is beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really I'm connecting with this very much. So. Um, but I, I do want to ask also, um, how do you integrate social justice into your pedagogical practices with poetry? I know that's something that's very important to you. Yeah, so social justice is present since the very beginning. When I entered the classroom and I introduced myself, the way that I introduced myself, I'm already bringing this uh aspect that is very important in my language teaching. So I introduced myself as a, a Black Brazilian woman from Bahia, Brazil, and as a Black feminist scholar. So I'm always connecting my experience as a Black feminist scholar with my teaching, with my research, with everything that I do. Because for me, uh, the, the language learning experience it is deeply connected to social justice because, for example, as I, I mentioned at the beginning, I didn't have the means to pay for language courses to learn other languages. Mm -hmm. So we see that learning other languages and experiencing these uh, that we are doing this now, connecting with people who, with different backgrounds learning how to be in different languages, it's something that it's not available for everyone. Not everyone have the opportunity to do this, to experience this. And then when you think about learning uh, a language, learning Portuguese, for example, even as your mother tongue, it's not something that everyone has uh, the opportunity to do. My mother, for example, she didn't have access to formal education until she was 21 years mm -hmm. old. Mm -hmm. And she is still struggling with her writings. She's still mm -hmm. learning how to get better with these skills. So it's not something that is there that's given. So I like to start all of my language classes with my introduction and talking about this. So we can think that the opportunity they're having here of learning another language, this, it's not available for everyone. Yeah. And to think about what can you do with this knowledge? How can you use this knowledge to make the world, the world a better place? Mm. And then also to think about how you can use your words for good. For example, mm -hmm. what we mentioned at the beginning to thinking about joy and happiness connected to Black women's experience. Like, how can you use words to create something that is different from what society is giving you, is offering yeah. you, and trying to make of you? So social justice and poetry and language teaching, they're all connected because we can 
always use our words to create something. And yeah. then you can decide what do you want to create with that language. So always thinking about that that language is always creating something. Yeah. And then motivating them to think about the importance of thinking deeply about the language. It's not just learning vocabulary. Yeah, it's not just yeah. learning verbs. They're connecting them. We are creating something when we're doing that. So yeah. it's important to think about what kind of environment, words, society you want to create with that language. Yeah. yeah. Luana, where can our listeners find out more about your work and all the wonderful things that you are doing? You can find uh, some of my publications on uh, academia.edu. So I have a page there with my name, Luana, Luana Hay. So I have some of my, uh, my papers and articles that I publish. You can also find me on social media. We have a poetry collective that I founded here at the University of Pittsburgh called Adverse Poesia. And in our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we share the translations uh, that we did. We share the work that we've been doing, some videos of our events so we can find some of this in our social media it's called adverse poesia you can also find me on social media it's luana moreira hayes but hayes is r-e-i-s <laughs> and, and uh, you can also find um me uh, if you want to connect just send me an email my email is l-r-e-i-s at pit.edu. I'll be happy to continue the conversation and share uh, whatever thoughts and things that I can share about poetry because it's always something that I'm glad to talk about. Wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, Luana, this has been lovely to talk to you about. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn, that makes you laugh. Let's hear that word. <laughs> so, a word that makes me laugh is piquenique. <laughs> so, it's piquenique in Portuguese or picnic in English. So, in whatever <laughs> language I find that word it always makes me laugh. I think the sound <laughs> of the word piquenique, it always makes me laugh. It makes me happy. Even though I never actually experienced that, I never went on a picnic. What? Ah, <gasps> we should make this happen for you. Absolutely, we should. I've always really, I, I like the French, you know, piquenique, but uh, I had a, a student in my French class when I was was young who pronounced it Pikeu Nikeu, and that's, I still... <laughs> I, I still talk about yes. It's time to go on un paiku naiku. Yes. See, it's a word that always makes you laugh. I love that word. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Luana. Thank you. That has been an amazing experience. Thank you so much for that. Next week, we will speak with Amalia Skilton, a Klarman postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Linguistics here at Cornell, about her work on language development across cultures. Until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. 
check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu. Or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.